Welcome, friends and colleagues. I hope you are safe and well. This is the Thoughtful Teacher Podcast. I am Scott Lee. Whether they plan to or not, this year many teachers have found themselves teaching remotely or facing the possibility that they could switch to a remote teaching environment at any time. So it is fitting today that we welcome Greg Bagby, the Technology Coordinator for the Hamilton County, Tennessee Schools. In our conversation, we'll discuss a wide range of issues, including some advice that Greg offers, as well as discussing resources and policy considerations. Welcome to the Thoughtful Teacher Podcast, Greg Bagby. Oh, well, thank you very much, Scott. I appreciate you having me on your show. So I guess as we get started, uh, as a history teacher who now works in education media, always interested in people's journeys, tell us a little bit how a music and band teacher becomes a school district instructional technology coordinator. Well, it was kind of a bizarre journey. It happened when the school technology person where I was the band teacher, he brought in a computer and set it on my desk and he told me he'd be back next week to set it up. And I was like, okay, that's fine. I went ahead and set it up myself. And the next morning I get to school and the principal calls me to his office. He says, who set up your computer? I said, I set it up myself. It's a computer. It wasn't that difficult. And then he's asked, uh, so you want to teach computers next year? And I thought, sure, why not? <laughs> so the next year I became a computer teacher and I started going into classes, helping teachers integrate technology into their courses into their classes so that they can use teach, uh, the technology in a more broad sense. And then folks realized that I do a little bit more. So applied to become principal at that same school, ended up going to another school, but continued to do computer and technology training. Even when I became a principal at my own school, I would go to other schools and do training before school, come and run my school. And then after school, go and do training. And then a couple of years ago, Someone came into my office and said, hey, you want to do this for the district? And I thought, you know, that's what I've been doing for the last 15 years. Might as well focus on it and get it done that way. So it was a kind of a bizarre journey, but that's what got me to the position I'm in now. Yeah, I understand. A lot of us are doing things that we never really uh, planned on, and <laughs> yes. it just kind of happens. Yeah, the, definitely did not think 30 years ago. Ooh, been that long? Yeah. Uh, that <laughs> this is what I'd be doing either. So, so tell us a little bit about the ins and outs of what you do right now. Uh, currently, thanks to COVID-19 and the pandemic, my, a lot of my focus has been on, on uh, working with our learning management system, making sure that it's up and running and the, the teachers have the right courses and it's working with our student information system and everything is talking back and forth. And not only the learning management system where the curriculum is housed, but also different technology tools that we're integrating inside of the management system so that teachers will have one place to stop and send the materials out to the students. And students, likewise, can log on, go to one place, click a couple of buttons, and all of their curriculum or all their needs are met right there from that one spot. So... I am doing a lot of support in that area, um, hopefully within the next couple of weeks. Actually, it's starting a little now, but um, I could turn back over the leaf or the, the lever to where I am in the classrooms working with kids and teachers, helping them integrate technology in creative ways. Like I did the digital timeline for one school. I'm doing a Minecraft 
in ELA with another school and uh, just doing different things that gets kids engaged in learning and active in learning with the technology that they're already using. So hopefully that'll come back around soon. We want to come back to that uh, as well. A lot of the things about what you're integrating and, uh, and how to do that. So we'll talk about that a little bit more in just a few minutes. But as you mentioned, a lot of teachers are teaching virtually or will be teaching virtually or worried that they might be teaching virtually at some point this year and maybe into next year. What do you think is the most important thing that they know or think about or do? Well, the most important, that's a difficult one, but I can give you several that <laughs> or I think. Seven, or, yeah, because the next thing is, what are some other pieces of advice? So if it's, a, <laughs> if it's a list of things, that's fine. Just go right ahead. Okay. Well, one of the most important things when they're moving to virtual, just to understand that it is not the same thing as if you're in the brick and mortar classroom. I know that some teachers over the summer, they were planning out, okay, so I have seven and a half hours with a lunch break put in there and I'm going to figure out how I'm going to do this with my students. No, we cannot do that in a virtual manner. We should not do it. Thinking of best practices and there are several research uh, studies that have been out there, believe it or not, on virtual learning. Teachers can find those and, and it shows that you don't want to try to just move everything from your classroom to a computer and send it off that way. Also, as teachers are working, uh, they need to make sure that they're thinking about two words that I've used a lot this summer and beyond, grace and flexibility. They're going to need to show grace to their students as they're going through this because a couple of things, it's a pandemic and most students haven't been virtual forever. So they just need to be willing to show grace to the students and themselves and be flexible because sometimes things will happen, things will come up and we can't of course, control all the tools and all the things. And there have been times when large platforms such as Google or Microsoft or other big major platforms have had issues in one part of the country or one part of the world or another. You just got to be flexible and move over or figure out another way to teach kids and work with kids in that same light without whatever tool that's not available. I love that. I was just writing that down, grace and flexibility. <laughs> I'm like, I, I may steal that one and use that one myself. How about um, it? <laughs> you know, one of the things that I do is I sometimes look at teacher blogs where, you know, that are teacher focused, teacher written. There's been a lot of buzz, uh, especially about funny things that have happened. A younger sibling running naked behind a student with an embarrassed <laughs> mother chasing them. Yes, yes. Um, my own niece, who's a first-year teacher and is doing all of her work online, told me some really funny and sometimes scary things also. But, uh, <laughs> yes. you know, there's a lot of funny things. But I think, you know, really hidden behind that, from what I hear teachers talk about and write about, is there's a lot of concern about other things, in particular how this new virtual schooling and more virtual schooling could affect things like cyberbullying. Do you see that as a problem or do you have any advice for teachers about how to deal with that and, and what some good strategies are if that's a concern that they have? One of the focuses that I have when I'm working with teachers in a digital environment is making sure they understand digital citizenship and not just digital citizenship for the teachers or the students as they're navigating their online space, but also training the parents under in digital citizenship, allowing them to understand 
what students should be doing online, how to be a basically good citizen while you're online, and of course have parents model these things. Mm-hmm. That's one of those things that uh, we search or we seek to do. And even when I was a principal in the building, I would host digital citizenship classes for parents because I wanted them to understand what I was teaching their students so that they'll know that having these conversations with your students about cyberbullying, about treating people the right way online or offline or through an app, it doesn't matter the app. So most schools that I am aware of, they've been pushing a lot of digital citizenship and not just for the bullying aspect, aspect, but for other aspects. And I think it's helping. <laughs> Actually, I know it's been helping in some areas, not just digital citizenship. The whole idea of making sure when you pull your classroom in, upon first getting together, a lot of teachers are now creating not just the Bitmoji classrooms, but virtual classrooms for students, but they're finding ways that students can engage and be a part of the classroom. So they'll have some, quote, skin in the game in this virtual space. That way they're building these relationships and working on relationships from student to student, which I think helps break down the barriers that would cause cyberbullying in the first place. So they're breaking down these barriers through relationships and then talking about digital citizenship and how to be good digital citizens. And I think, well, that's a way to help students not well bully each other for one thing. Mm-hmm. You know, I love that you're using the word digital citizenship and citizenship in particular. I know that there are many people advocating stronger civic education and stronger citizenship education. And that's not necessarily about learning about government. It's learning how yes. to get along. Exactly. And and it's the same thing in a virtual world. It is about a civics and citizenship. Teachers need to be teaching in an in-person school those citizenship skills and how to get along. Do you worry or do you think that teachers need a reminder that we have to spend as much time in a virtual learning environment doing that citizenship piece. How do we get along piece depending on you know the age of your kids? Is that something that you think people don't think enough about? Oh, a lot of times my class sizes or my class time is shorter in a digital learning environment. I don't have time to do this, you know, citizenship. Is, is that an issue or is that something you have to remind people to do? I think, yes, you definitely have to remind them, even in the brick and mortars, you have to remind the teachers that uh, students don't naturally get along. Yes, we throw them in a room and say, hey, go for it. But that's one of the areas that gets left out. I'm not sure what of the curriculum is due in by the first two weeks of school, but I don't want you to work on curriculum until you've built relationships with your students, as well as uh, worked on just being good citizens to each other. Uh, So that was one of the things that I pushed for. For the first two weeks, I want you to just build relationships and build an understanding, figure out how you all are going to work together and get along. And then the curriculum, we'll work on that later. Because I think if we get the basis of how we're going to work as a class, then the other things will come easily. And I believe that's one of those things that we leave out not only in the brick and mortar, but also in the virtual world. You're thinking, I have all this curriculum. I don't even know how to use it. I don't know what to do with it. So I, I think a lot of the things that we want to build up of our build our students up with, it falls by the wayside. Uh, we just let it go and run with what we have because right. we have to get this curriculum in. If a local or state school board member happened to be listening to us, 
Are there any suggestions that you might make for them? Local or state school board, I know uh, we have been blessed with the knowledge of knowing that the state's tests in Tennessee will not affect the way that teacher is observed or graded this year. However, I think the state tests in itself should not even exist in a time like now, just because it's one of those things where it's hard to test students in the first place. And the tests just show how the students were doing that particular week out of the year. So Mm -hmm. I, I don't think the test is actually a record or an indicator as much as an indicator as we want it to be. And this year, many kids will be virtual and many kids will be at home. They're still uh, saying that we need to have this assessment, which I'm not against assessments. I want to know where my kids are. I want to know uh, how they've achieved, if they've achieved. But I, I just think right now it's not the best time. And another thing I would let them know is that teachers are hurting. Teachers are worn out. They're weary. I have friends that are teaching virtual and face-to-face at the same time, and it's it's very stressful making sure that they're communicating and working with the folks on the screen as well as the kids that are in front of them, and it's wearing teachers out, and I hate seeing how many teachers, I'm in several Facebook groups and Twitter groups and even, even on LinkedIn, folks saying, okay, I'm looking for my second career because I'm going to retire after this year. This year has done me in. Even some that are retiring at Christmas just because the work is gotten to be so hard and minimal breaks. I appreciate what's happening in my district where we do our wellness Wednesdays and we check in with some of the mindfulness, actually some of the things that you had, um, Jennifer Knowles on your show. Right. Yeah. He's done some work with the district in that area. Um, that's, that's been great for having a place where teachers can go for this. However, it's not a universal thing. It's not a universal thing that districts are taking care of their teachers. Even as this district takes care of its teachers, it's still really hard for teachers. So there you go. It is interesting. You mentioned the episode where Jennifer was on and mindfulness in schools, and that is still the most downloaded episode of this podcast. The interesting thing is that particular episode you know, on mindfulness in the classroom had an increase in downloads after school started this year. A lot oh, of I'm interest sure. <laughs> a lot of interest in mindfulness. That's interesting that you bring that up because you're right, teachers are hurting. And the whole way that the testing uh, system is set up. I know the first year that the uh, park consortium, even though oh yes, you're you're not in a uh, common core state, but I forget if it was Park or Smarter Balanced, where about half uh, half of the testing was online and half of the testing was on paper, and ten points lower per student on average per student in the online testing environment, which was something they totally did not expect. So this many students online, yeah, I'd be worried about not just the accountability piece, but I would question whether you'd get accurate results to begin with. Yes. Taking a look at the big picture, some policymakers have been suggesting that this is the COVID is an opportunity. You know, the way schools are changing is an opportunity. And, and when you're in it, it never feels like an opportunity. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but, you know, oftentimes crises do present opportunities. There have been suggestions 
you know, by several governors, the governor of New York, uh, most famously, saying that the changes in technology because of COVID give us an opportunity in the future to really remake schools based on new uses of technology. First of all, uh, do you see that and, and do you think about issues like that? And if you do see some changes, uh, some positive changes that this crisis could create in the big picture and longer term using technology, uh, what are they? I was on a panel for, for these, this big company talking about changes in technology and the, the future of education. And one of the things that I'll mention here that I mentioned there is that my hope is that because of this pandemic, we'll break the way that we're doing schools. The mold will be broken. We have students learning online all across the country, all across the world, actually. And we have students that have access to tools that actually some have had access, but more and more kids are getting, gaining access. My hope is that we do change the way that education happens and it can change from the idea of seat time in the Carnegie unit, as well as you're in whatever grade you're in based on your age, which I'm sorry, that's one of my soapboxes. Let me not go there. Uh, but no, 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 that, that's okay. <laughs> I'm with you. I, I question the need for necessarily assessment grades, but grade levels, you know, yes, why, why yes. do we have those? I'm right there. Uh, Just the other day, I was telling someone, yeah, I was that kid that I didn't get the concept on the last day of the grading period, but the next day of the next grade, the following grading period, I would get the concept. And because my mastery took place a little bit longer than it did for others, I didn't receive the A in the course or achieve mastery, so to speak, in the time they had set for me. (laughs) I achieved it maybe a little later. Therefore, I didn't get the right grades. And and hopefully this this will change that. One of the things that I appreciate, the district I'm in, Hamilton County, I I think this will happen more and more across the U.S. Actually, I've heard that it's happening, and I may even have to do a dissertation on this, but we're shrinking the digital divide between the haves and have-nots inside of a district. I'm not sure if you're aware, but we're providing devices for all the students and for the students that are on free and reduced lunch that don't have access to the internet, we are connecting them to the internet for free with uh, broadband capabilities. I I think that's something amazing. I think we have like 8,000 students connected at this time. I I was thinking we are going to actually eliminate the digital divide here in Hamilton County. But then I found out that doing the same thing in Wichita, the school district in Wichita, they're doing very similar things where they are providing internet access, broadband access to all the students that need it. It's exciting for me, of course, being in a city where I can get a gigabit of internet coming straight to my home. It's great. I just remember going to a conference in Atlanta and talking about broadband and digital equity and things like that. And, and I had some teachers come up to me afterwards saying, uh, you know, we don't even have internet. And this was just a year ago. And I was like, what do you mean you don't have internet? And they were like, well, we live out in, in the Eastern part of the state and it's very rural. We don't have internet. It's like a couple of miles between houses. I was like, that's insane. And then mm-hmm. I took a drive out to that area and I saw why they don't have internet. And, and, and I think that broadband and connectivity, it should be just like a utility. Yes. Uh, it, it's a right. And I, I can't remember how they phrased it, but my wife did some research over in Finland and she talks about how it's, it's like the law. It's like you get water, electricity, internet. It's just one of those things that 
comes to your house that the government, well, socialist countries, government supports everything. And my hope is that this pandemic will bring about access to the internet for most of those students, the inner city kids and the rural kids, because there's so much now that the knowledge has moved from the front of the classroom to the device inside the student's hands, that opens up new worlds for all of them. But it doesn't do any good without that internet connection and the right kind of internet connection. I was doing some work in another city, you know, like you, I'm used to having fiber optic gigabit speed to my house. And I was someplace else where I had a different kind of connection. The download speed is very fast, but you can't be interactive because the upload speed is just a little bit better than dial up. You can get almost a gig (laughs) down, but not even six megabits a second up. And I'm trying to work there. And it's the same kind of thing. And this was in a rural area. It's it's not just even the access, it's getting the right kind of access. Yes. Because if it's not fiber or that extra thick coax, coaxial cable, you may only get the internet in one direction. It's still another problem. You mentioned uh, some of the things that you do in classrooms when you get a chance and would like to uh, continue to do that. Could you share some good ideas for teachers that are looking for ideas and or looking for uh, resources to help improve their virtual teaching skills? A couple of things that I would like to share. I try to go, (laughs) why do we rob banks? Because that's where the money is. I try to go to where the kids are. And a lot of the kids are using Minecraft and games like that. So the whole idea of gamification has been working. And Minecraft, if they set it up the right way, they can have the kids doing some virtual stuff and you can teach different lessons inside of Minecraft because it has the quill and ink and the kids can write, they can do their math problems and they, and it's a story and they can build in Minecraft. It's, it's one of those things that there is a learning curve the kids are already there, but there is a learning right. curve for the teachers. <laughs> but once the teachers get an understanding of it, I'm amazed at how well they go. Another place or resource I'll talk about is a friend of mine, Matt Miller. He is the person that wrote Ditch That Textbook. And he also wrote Ditch That Homework, uh, Tech Like a Pirate, Don't Ditch That Tech. If you go to his website, uh, Ditch That Textbook, I believe, DitchThatTextbook.com. I'll find it and put a link on the website. Okay, fantastic. Uh, but there's several resources there that he has for distance learning and things that you can do with your students that are engaging and captivating. There, I, I think of there's so many there that I can't put my pin on one specifically, but he has a great resource. Another great resource is Cult of Pedagogy by Jennifer Gonzalez. She does podcasts, blogs, puts out information. She does the Teacher's Guide to Tech, and those things are all phenomenal. Just following her on Twitter and the things that she produces, I am blown away. A couple other folks, actually. Caitlin Tucker, who does a lot with blended learning, uh, she's been very helpful. A place where I can send teachers uh, to share different ideas and different things. And she helped write the Blended Learning in Action book. So there's that. The last book that I'll talk about is the Distance Learning Playbook. It's a newer book, but it has some amazing features in it, amazing things that teachers will have access to. A Doug Fisher, Nancy Fry, and John Hattie book. So it talks about Hattie's uh, 250 engagement things that uh, the research that Hattie did. Mm -hmm. And one of the other things that I found recently 
there was another thing that or another uh, resource that I found lately. Of course, a lot of teachers jumped on doing the Bitmoji classrooms to engage students, which is great. But uh, recently, Trish, Trish Redman, I believe, uh, she had this whole Amazing Race, Digital Amazing Race series uh, that she was using with students. And she's posted a lot of the content, actually maybe all of the content online because I found it there. And I was like, this is great. And you can use it with your kids in a virtual environment. And it's just really great to have engaging, interacting things with kids, even through a, through a screen. Thank you very much, Greg. I appreciate all of what you've shared with us. It's uh, been good getting to uh, talk with you, and thank you for all that you are doing for our kids. Thank you, of course, for joining us today. Well, thank you very much for having me, and I hope that someone finds anything I said a little bit helpful. If nothing else, the links that I'll share, there's some helpful things in there. Right. (laughs) This has been episode number 22. The Thoughtful Teacher Podcast is hosted and produced by R. Scott Lee, who retains copyright. We encourage diverse opinions. However, opinions expressed do not necessarily reflect the views of producer, partners, or underwriters. Guest was not compensated for appearance, nor did guest pay to appear. Transcripts are available following podcast publication at our website, thoughtfulteacherpodcast.com. Sponsorship opportunities or other inquiries may be made on the Contact Us page at our website, thoughtfulteacherpodcast.com. Please follow the Thoughtful Teacher Podcast on Twitter at Dr. R. Scott Lee and on Facebook at facebook.com thoughtfulteacherpodcast. Proud member of the Podnuga Network.